Come on, it is so good to see you today. I got my man, Pastor Jerry. He's going to minister during our, our reality check series. And uh, just got a, a tremendous, tremendous word for us uh, this morning. Man, I just, I'm just excited for, for the series. I'm excited that as people of God, man, we just, there's times we need a reality check. And uh, felt strong last week, thought that was amazing. I'm excited for Pastor Jerry this morning and just to be able to minister and speak to us. Um, we love, we love Pastor Jerry. He's been here for a few years now, and he's got a Living Connected group, him and his bride, and we're excited for that. If you're in the Houghton, Cuba area, I already heard from people outside after your first message, they're just like, we got to go to that home group, so you better, <laughs> I know you have a, this huge log cabin, but you might want to add some more logs or something, bro, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to fill up, which is a beautiful thing. Come on. Um, we are grateful for the Word of God, and we're thankful that God is stirring our hearts this morning and stirring our hearts and we, people, we need, we need to win people to Christ. Like, we want to win people to Christ. First service this morning was quite full, which was beautiful. I love where we're at in our second service. 11 o'clock is fantastic. But man, invite, invite a family for next week. Invite a family to our, our, our fall fest. Like, let's, let's just start really saying, okay, the reality is people need Jesus. People need Jesus. And let's, let's do something truly amazing that God would do a work in people's hearts man, when they come to BC. And God is going to stir our hearts today. And I pray that this is true, that you're open for this. And listen to the word of God today. Listen to who we are, where we're at, and where we're going in, in our personal faith in Jesus. This is something special today. And it's a powerful, powerful word. Brother Jerry, I love you. Amen. Come on, rip it out, my man. Come on, Thank juice you. it up, bro. Get it, get it. Look at all the water. It's so nice. I'm taking one. <laughs> First Peter chapter 1, please, if you have your Bible or on your phone, it's First uh, Peter chapter 1. That'll be our text, verses uh, 14 to 19. And uh, uh, going along with uh, Pastor Sean's theme, and uh, the Lord has uh, directed him as he's led the, this church uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, reality check, reality check. Where are we? And who are we? And uh, what are we called to? All of the crazy that is going on in the world around us, and we're called out from them to be separate, what does that look like? What does that look like? Um, who are we as the followers, passionate followers of Jesus Christ, called out um, to be his and to be like him? We're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Before we get started... I share with you a true story that happened in World War II. The Burma Railway, it's 258 miles of railroad that stretched from Thailand to Burma. It was built in 1940 to 1943 on the backs of civilian laborers and prisoners of war. Over 60,000 allied prisoners of war were subjected to forced labor more than 12,000 died during the construction. Well, it was one of the incidences in this construction of the railway where a group of POWs were being watched by Japanese guards. At the end of the day, it was custom to count all of the tools and make sure nothing was missing. One of the Japanese guards says, there is a shovel missing. Who took the shovel? Nobody obviously took it. 
these guys were malnourished, worked literally sometimes to death. They, in their frailty, stood in a line, and the Japanese guard is, who took the shovel? Step forward. Who took the shovel? And all the other guards heard what were going on. They come over to join him, and they had the Allied prisoners of war lined up. The Japanese soldiers lifted their firearms. Who took the shovel? Step forward. Who took the shovel? All die. All die. I'd like you to stay with me through the message, and at the end of the service, we'll find out what happened uh, to the true story of these prisoners of war. 1 Peter chapter 1, with regards to a reality check, if you're familiar with the New Testament at all, Paul, we're looking at Peter's letter, but Paul wrote much of the New Testament, and his letter were to the churches he had planted, oh, months or years prior. And one of the main themes is calling the church out to be the church and be present in this crazy world that they're living in. If we were to title today's message, it would be living right in a wrong world. And Paul's letters to his churches were like, you are called out by God to be separate and to be holy. I want the church to be the church. There should be a distinction in the way you talk, the attitudes, your way of life, your appetites, your desires, and your passions. You're in the world, but not of the world, and I want you to bear fruit and have the world look at you and say, wow, I see God. So Peter here is writing to us, and he let's read together. I'm reading from the New International Version, verses 14 to 19. 1 Peter 1, 14 to 19. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but it was with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb, without blemish or defect. And the way Peter in this letter is getting his point across is by addressing us and calling us and giving us certain titles. For instance, as we're called out to be separate, we're God's chosen people to be holy because I am holy, Peter emphasizes the fact that we are different from the world by calling us names. For instance, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, to God's, he's addressing this letter to who? God's elect. In God's sovereign free grace, he calls us out to be his. We're adopted into the family of God. We are people of God. And then notice what he calls us. He's addressing to this letter to God's elect strangers in the world. Strangers in the world. Look at chapter 1 verse 17, part of what we read in a, for our text this morning. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as what? Strangers. Live your lives as strangers. Strangers. 
in reverent fear. And then jump over to chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. You are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And in some translation, we're called peculiar. Strangers, peculiar, people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise. This is why we're called out. This is the reason that we belong to God. Why have you called me out? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, there's two teams, right? As Pastor Sean has always mentioned, team Jesus, team Satan. You're either in darkness or you're in light. Peter makes this distinction here. You're called out of darkness into his wonderful light. And those who are still in darkness are going to call you weird. Is that okay? Yes. That's actually a compliment. You're strange. Well, thank you very much. This world is not my home. I belong to God. And notice what he says as he continues. Once you had received, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11 of 1 Peter 2 says, listen, dear friends, I urge you as what? These are your titles. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, one of your titles is alien, stranger, in this world. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may uh, see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. You see what he's talking about here? When we're addressing the craziness in this world and we're doing a reality check for the church, he's asking us, are you weird? According to the world, are you strange? Or do you fit in? Is there a distinction in your life that you are a follower of Christ? Or do you blend in? Reality check. Reality check. Are you different? So what we're addressing here this morning is personal holiness. Personal holiness. God and me walking together. God saving me. I get God. I am becoming more and more like God. We need to, what I hope to accomplish this morning is that we see this connection. The connection between the sin-bearing work of Christ and the sin-killing work of the Christian. I want us to see the Christ canceling our sin, right? For sure. But I also want us to see the connection of the Christian conquering sin. The two aren't separated, right? The horror of Christ's suffering and the holiness of Christ's people. I hope we see that this morning because it's wonderful to sing about the celebration of our freedom. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I have been set free. My chains are gone. Glory, hallelujah. We have been saved from but we've also been saved and safe to something. There's something more. There's something greater. A biblical term is justification, right? We're in the high court of heaven because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. His blood shed on our behalf. We are declared right. We are forgiven. We are no longer guilty. But justification leads us to something more, something greater. Propitiation is another biblical term. 
whereby which through Christ's blood we no longer bear the righteous indignation of a holy God. Jesus took his wrath fully and completely upon himself and satisfy it in such a way that now God looks at you through the blood of Jesus and looks upon you with favor. He's become propitious. But propitiation in itself leads to something more, something greater. What's the more? What's the greater that all of these things? I thank God I'm set free. My chains are gone. I'm declared not guilty. And now I have the favor. I stand in position of grace and mercy. In and of itself, it's not complete. It has done something and it leads us to something more, something greater. What is it? What's the more? What's the greater? 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 18. 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. And now here's the more, and here's the greater. Why did he do that? Why the righteous for the unrighteous? Why once for all the forgiveness of sins? So that God, to bring you, to bring me to God. You see, the greatest gift we get as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, born again, set free, justified, declared right, and having God's favor, is we get God. The greatest gift you have as a follower and believer of Jesus Christ is God. He did this to bring you to God. You see, this separates us from all other religions, right? If you follow other religions, it is always humanity trying to appease a deity and try to measure up and give gifts and do good things. And I hope I've done what was right and good enough. But that's what Christianity is not about at all. Do you see what he's saying here? God, through Jesus Christ, who thought equality with God something not to be held on to, made himself of no reputation, became like a servant and obedient unto God's will for his life, even obedient to the cross. That separates us from everyone else. God came down to bring us to himself. We don't have to measure up or give or do or accomplish and meet all of these rules and regulations. He made a public spectacle of them, right? Triumphing over them on the cross. So that's what I hope to accomplish this morning, along with seeing the holiness of God, his call upon us, is that we see the connection between the horrors of Christ's suffering that purchased the holiness of our lives. You can't separate the two. You can't separate the two. Without this connection, right, we start talking about personal holiness. It becomes through our ears we hear rules, regulations, and measuring up, and, and you got to conform and do this and don't do that. And, and, and for some, it's just like, I can't do it. I don't measure up. I, I'm so discouraged. I'm dismayed. Or the other camp, with all of these rules and regulations, they have a sense of moral achievement and I don't know what's wrong with you. 
right? Self-righteousness. And none of that is part of the Christian walk, right? So we have to make the connection of what Christ did on the cross and the holiness of our lives. Otherwise, we can have the tendency to be discouraged or become self-righteous. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. He addresses us again here as children. We have been born of God, we get God, and we are becoming God. Romans 8.29 says, You have been predestined to conform to the likeness of his Son. This is the work of Christ. He who began the good work will be faithful to complete it. Right? He addresses us as children, and this is what's going on in our lives. We'll come back to evil desires and ignorance in verse 14. Let me focus for a second here on the holiness of God in verse 15. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Oh my goodness. You want me to be holy in all that I do? Be holy because I am holy. You see, holiness is a command. That's not an option, right? It is a command. And the basis of that command is the holiness of God. And the holiness of God has something to do with how rare and permanent and accessible God is. When you consider gold, which is one of the references here, you weren't purchased or ransomed by perishable things like silver or gold. He says you've been ransomed and purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. But if you consider gold, why is that the basis of our money? Why is that the standard? Why is gold the standard for our money? Why do we prize gold so high? Well, number one, it's rare, right? You don't see it everywhere, but so are some of the fish in the ocean. <laughs> They're rare, but the fish aren't permanent. They die. So it has to be rare. It has to be permanent. But there are some rare gemstones or rocks below the surface. They're rare. They're permanent. But they're not really accessible. It would take a lot to dig them up and then use them as our standard for money. Gold seems to have rarity. It's somewhat permanent. And it's somewhat accessible. Well, when you consider the holiness of God, his uniqueness, he is all of those, is he not? God is the rarest of all beings. There is no one like him. He has absolute permanence. In the beginning, God was, is, and always will be rare, permanent. Well, is he accessible? <laughs> he is now through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We have access to God himself. Remember, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God? God is the standard. God is the absolute and ultimate reality. So the holiness of God is his infinite value. God is the standard like gold is for our money. Infinite value, his absolute uniqueness, and his moral perfection. That's the holiness of God. 
And so when we go back to verse 14 of 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. What flows out of ignorance? In the text, it says evil desires. Don't conform anymore to those evil desires when you lived in ignorance. So ignorance, in ignorance, outcomes evil desires. So the question is, ignorance of what? What am I ignorant of? You're ignorant of God. When you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're ignorant of God. And that's all you know, and your stomach is your God. Your desires and your appetite are what you follow. It just comes natural. That's the way it is outside of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 says you're dead in your transgressions and sins. And you are a slave to your desires and the kingdom and the power of this world. Until God interrupts, that's all you know. Unsaved ignorance outflows evil desires. So human holiness is the transformation of our knowledge and the transformation of our desires, right? We treasure God when we finally get to see him as he is and know him for who he is and what he has done on our behalf. So if ignorance, unsaved ignorance, outflows evil desires, what does saving knowledge bring? holiness of conduct. Ignorance, unsaved ignorance, evil desires, saving knowledge, the work of God through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit outflows holiness. Human holiness is to know the true greatness and beauty and worth of God and then to have those desires conform to that knowledge. Did you catch that? Human holiness is to know the true greatness and beauty and worth of God and to have the desires conform to that knowledge. Unsaved ignorance outflows evil desires. Saving knowledge, holiness of conduct. So the connection between the holiness of the Christian and the horrors of Christ's suffering is so important. Colossians makes a reference to this in chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, with regards to ignorance and knowledge. Colossians 3, if you hold your place here in 1 Peter, we'll be back. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 3, verses 8 through 10. In the context, he's talking about this great salvation. And since we have been raised with Christ and now have a new life, we're to set our hearts and our minds on things above. And in verse 8, part of this is putting on and taking off, putting off the old self, putting on the new. In verse 8 of Colossians 3, he says, But now you, have mu you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Rid yourself now as now a Christian who has saving knowledge and new desires that conform to that knowledge. 
I want you to see all of these things now that you need to get rid of. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self and with its practices and have put on the new self. Now look at here, verse 9, which is what? Being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Right? There's the connection. God has done a great work in you and you are working this out in practicality where I am putting off the old self, what belonged to me and all that I could do out of the evil desires in my ignorance. Now that I have saving knowledge, I have new desires. Part of the process is putting off the old and putting on a new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I am a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away, right? They are, be- they are beginning to pass away and all things are becoming new. I'm putting off the old, putting on the new, and it's through the knowledge of God and the desires that have conformed to that knowledge. Good stuff. The connection between the holiness of the Christian and the horror of, the, of Christ's suffering is in verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Go back to 1 Peter 1. And notice the connection. We're talking about um, our unsaved ignorance and evil desires flowing out of that. And now the redeeming work of Christ that causes us to have saving knowledge and rescues and redeems us from futile conduct to holy conduct. Verse 18 of 1 Peter 1. You know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life. Maybe your translation says feudal conduct. Did you notice that? You were redeemed or ransomed from the empty or feudal conduct or empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But you were redeemed, ransomed with the precious blood. It wasn't silver or gold. It was the blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb without blemish or defect. You were ransomed from your feudal conduct. See, when Christ died and shed his infinitely valuable blood, he purchased by means of a ransom payment our transfer from feudal conduct to holy conduct. God, through Jesus Christ, purchased your holiness. That purchase was effective. Christ's blood was not shed in vain. He didn't fail at this. See, what I, let me give you an illustration. This is how not to think of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not as though God saw his bride in the hands of the enemy, paid the ransom, and then watched as she walked free, but then didn't come home. She shacked up with another man. That's not how to think about the blood of Jesus Christ. There is power in the blood. What the blood of Christ purchased was your holiness, and you do come back home. 
the blood is effective. It was not shed in vain. The ransom bought a new way of life for you. You will walk in this new way of life or you have no warrant that you belong to him. Reality check. The blood of Jesus Christ purchased and prepared good works for you to do. And you will walk in them. That doesn't mean it's all roses. There is a struggle. You do have to fight. But the work of Christ through his blood is sure. It is effective. He will get what he has purchased. The ransom bought a new way of life for you. You will walk in it. And if you don't, then you have no warrant to think that you belong to him. Remember Ephesians 2, where it is described as being dead in your transgressions and sins. And by God's great mercy and grace, you have been saved, not of yourselves. It is a work of God. What does Ephesians 2.10 say? You are his masterpiece. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. Did you catch that? So propitiation, justification, they lead us to something greater, to better. We're saved by God. We're called out. We get God and we become more like God. We are brought from and bought from unsaved ignorance and evil desires to saving knowledge and holiness of conduct. You can't separate the two. Romans chapter 6. Again, hold your place here in 1 Peter. Just a quick glance at Romans 6. Last week, we celebrated those who publicly declared that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And in their baptism, it represented the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the work that he had done in their lives, inwardly, spiritually. Outwardly, they are manifesting that I am living a new life. And the basis of this is Romans chapter 6. Look at verses 3 and 4. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized, meaning identified or united in Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Don't you know? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead, hallelujah, through the glory of the Father, we too may what? Live a new life. We couldn't before outside the work of Christ. Now we can ignorance and evil desires save to saving knowledge and holiness of conduct. Jump over to verses 18 and to 23 of Romans 6. You have been set free from sin have, have become slaves to righteousness. What, 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 what? Wait a minute. What was that? I am set free from being a slave to sin? And did you catch what he said? 
now you're a slave to righteousness. Romans 6 has often been declared as the Christian's emancipation proclamation. I have been set free. Little do we realize we have been saved from the dominion of darkness and placed into the kingdom of the Son of God. We have been saved from slavery to sin, and now we are slaves to God. Right? And look at the reasoning as we read a little bit further in Romans 6, 19. I put this in human terms because you're weak and your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body to slavery, to impurity, and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, which leads to what? Do you see it? Holiness. Offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, which leads to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things resulted in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. And the benefit you reap leads to holiness. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, right, is eternal life. Born of God, we get God, we become more like God. This is the process and the progression of the Christian life. Romans 7, I hope, describes you this morning. You don't have to turn there, but if you happen to be there, it's Romans 7 verses 18 and 19. Paul, writing again, says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, but I have the desire. Did you catch that? I have the desire. That's the distinction between unsaved ignorance and saving knowledge. Now I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, evil, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And that's the struggle. In position, I know who I am in Christ Jesus. Holy, pure, perfect righteousness. But in practice, (coughs) excuse me, I need the two to become closer together. The things I don't want to do, I do. I don't desire it. The things I want to do, I, I, I just, it's, and that's the Christian life, right? You're not going to reach perfect holiness in this life until he comes to take you home or you die to go to be with him. It is a progressive work. But nonetheless, be holy. Why? Because I am holy. Unsaved ignorance, evil desires, saving knowledge, holiness of conduct. The only sin that can be successfully fought is a forgiven sin. Did you catch that? The only sin that can be successfully fought is a forgiven sin. Since the forgiveness has been secured infallibly by the blood of Jesus, the fight will be successful, but you have to fight. The language in the New Testament is mortify, 
make to die the deeds of the flesh. Pastor Sean says it all the time. It's not okay to be okay with sin. Keep short accounts with God. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, God. Forgive me. And he will, and he does, and he restores us. He's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to do of his good purpose. You see, what he commands, he has also purchased and provided. Be holy because I am holy. If we were to describe or try to measure a successful church, it would not be measured in how many people attend. If we were trying to measure and describe a successful church, it would not be all the programs that could be offered to the various age groups. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, um, the worship team is amazing. God's blessing is on Believer's Chapel, and we have all of those to his glory and his praise. But if we were to try to describe or say or measure what a successful church is in the minds of God with his bride, if it could be measured, it would be measured by the purity of its people, holiness, and the pursuit of it. Not perfect, but progressive. I know where I am in my position. I am trying to align my practice to be more like that. Is there a distinction in your life as a believer than someone who does not believe? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? We're talking about personal holiness. It's a work of God in you and in me at a deep personal level. Let me close with three action points. Number one, be tough on yourself and compassionate towards others. Be tough on yourself and compassionate towards others with regards to sin. Oftentimes we get this backwards. We're tough on somebody else and we give ourselves way too much leniency. Have you been involved in the world so much and desensitized to its craziness and its philosophy and its pattern that it's infiltrated your life and you said, and you've become okay with it. It's not okay. Be holy because I am holy. So be tough on yourself, but be compassionate to others. Others who don't know Jesus, that's all they know is their stomach, their appetite, their desires, getting ahead in this world. This is all they're living for. This is all the heaven they're going to experience. But for us as believers, this is all the hell we'll ever know. Be compassionate to it. I have a background in um, construction, and sometimes I do sheetrock and taping. And I step back, and I'm looking at my work, and I'm like, wow, that, that looks pretty good. I think we're ready for prime and paint. Then, then you bring a halogen light, and you shine it on my work, like, whoa, there's a lot of defects there. I need to touch those up before I put primer on it. You know, as you grow closer to God and get closer to the light, 
in his love and compassion, he reveals the defects in your life because his desire is for you to be like him. He loves you. He'll forgive you. He walks alongside of you. There's no now, therefore, no condemnation. Keep short accounts with him. Lord, I'm sorry. I spoke wrong. I, so be tough on yourself, compassionate towards others. Number two, have convictions. Have convictions. You've got to know yourself. Nobody knows you better than you. There are some things that other Christians may be allowed to do because they have freedom of conscience. But if you know yourself, you say, I can't do that. I can't go there because I know me. I have a close friend who has since moved to Texas. <clears throat> but he said, Jerry, I, I know you have freedom of conscience to have a glass of wine with dinner. Uh, but look at Jerry... You don't know my past, but if I have one, I have 20. I can't go there. What maturity, right? What maturity where he says, I, I know myself, and it is my conviction that I, I, can't, I can't even have one. Drunkenness is a sin, right? Drunkenness is a sin. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. Be restored. Know yourself. Have convictions and say, I can't do that. I understand other people can, and that's fine. That's fine. I'm not looking down on them. I'm not holier than thou. I'm, there's no kind. I just can't, and that's okay. Matter of fact, that's very mature. That's very mature. So be tough on yourself, compassionate to others. Have convictions. And then third and finally, don't cause someone else to stumble. One of the marks of truly being a Christian is that you're more concerned about others than you are about yourself. That's one of the true marks. You're living for other people, right? Christ came not to be served, but to serve and give himself as a ransom. And this is our calling in life. Be sensitive to the spirits in your Wherever you are, you don't know who's around you. And you may have freedom of conscience in some things, but something says, no, this time, this time don't. And little do you realize there's somebody that was watching. And you may never know until eternity. I say, yeah, you didn't cause him to stumble. As a matter of fact, you caused him to see God and Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 9.19 says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible, right? I'm free. I belong to no man. He has set me free, but I make myself a slave so that I might win some. I want people to see Jesus. People need Jesus. They need to come to him, see him, and they see him through us. The holiness of our lives, not arrogant and proud and Bible thumping, so to speak, but in Humility, We act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. How attractive is that when that's done well? Well, in closing, remember the prisoners of war? All lined up, could hardly stand. Japanese guards shouting at them, all die, all die. One man takes a step forward. The Japanese guards 
come over, all of them, and with the butt end of their rifles, beat him to death. And everyone else is able to go free. They went back and counted. There wasn't a shovel missing. Does that represent somebody? No greater love has a man than this than he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ thought equality with God something not to be held on to, but he made himself of no reputation. He stepped forward when all die, all die. And he gave his life so that we could go free, so that we could come to God. We get God. God saved us. God brought us. And he is doing a work in us to become more like God. If you don't know him personally, that's where you need to begin. You need to come to God. Jesus made the way. There's no other way. And if you're here this morning and the Spirit's convicted you that, you know, the craziness of the world has creeped in. I, I find myself talking the way they talk. I, I, I'm conducting myself in ways that I, I don't think God would be very proud. We're talking about personal holiness. Let's do business with God this morning. If you need prayer, you want to know Jesus, there's people here that would love to talk to you, pray with you. Keep short accounts with God. Walk in closeness with Him. Ask for forgiveness. Abide in Christ and bear much fruit. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for our time together. We thank you for your word. We ask your blessing on our lives. Uh, we need you. We need you in our salvation, and we need you in the progressive work of becoming more like you. May our position and our practice become more aligned, and may people see Jesus for your name's sake.